Good morning, church. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Pastor Daniel. Now, the best way to follow the sermon is really to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12. And if you find it helpful to have an outline to follow the sermon, do download our e-bulletin on our website and you have the outline of the sermon. Well, you can also just follow the sermon and uh, the outline will be pretty clear, I hope. Now, what would change your life? Well, it has been four months since the major supermarkets in Singapore started to charge at least five cents for every disposable plastic bag. What are the results? Well, according to a China News Asia article, there was possibly a 50 to 80% reduction in the use of plastic bags as compared to last year. Now, that's quite successful, isn't it? 50 to 80%. That's pretty good. Well, as the saying goes, especially for Singapore, if you want to change someone's behaviour, the best way is to hit them in the pocket. Now, I used to uh, wear those cheap you know, rubber Casio watches. They are lightweight and they are durable. Then some years back, you know, my, my uh, watch was finally done after many years of service. I was about to buy a new one. But my wife, Mason, told me uh, that the health promotion board is giving away this step tracker that can tell the time as well. And furthermore, they give away free vouchers when you meet a certain number of steps a day. I think it was 10,000 steps at that time. Now, being a cheapskate, I thought that that was a great idea, killing two birds with one stone. And I was fairly confident that I can easily meet the steps required per day. However, I was so wrong. I realized that I wouldn't even meet half the steps requirement if I follow my normal routine. So as a result, my, my life changed. I started to walk to go to my lunch. I take walks in my neighborhood after dinner. I do not complain about taking public transport, even in the hot sun. And I finally understood why people keep swinging and shaking their hands for no apparent reason. On the MRT and uh, during meetings, they're like, huh, what are you doing? Right. Until I start doing it myself. Yeah. It was totally life-changing when it was first launched. I see, if all these things change us, you know, all these penalties and incentives have so dramatically changed our lives, what more about Jesus Christ and the gospel? What more about Jesus Christ and the gospel? How will the mercies of God change our lives? Now, verse 1 begins with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, the word therefore tells us that the mercies of God is the basis and perhaps also the means of his appeal to a new life, a new living and what are these mercies of God? Well, it's the same word in Greek as compassion in Romans chapter 9, verse 15. It is God's compassion on the sorry state of sinners that prompted him to act on our behalf. So essentially, the mercies or the compassion of God is what Paul said from Romans 1 to 11. See, in all those earlier chapters, Paul established that no one is good 
all have turned away from God and sinned against Him and others. What awaits us is only the rightful wrath of God. That is the sorry state of humanity, both Jews and Gentiles. But God in His mercy, He has sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. And that is so that we, we who were sinners, enemies and rebels, are now made right with God. Therefore, we are saved, we are forgiven and redeemed from sin to do what? To wholly belong to God now. We are no longer enslaved to sin and no longer treated as rebels. In short, the mercies of God is the gospel. So how will the mercies of God change our lives? Well, firstly, by the mercies of God, Christians are to present their bodies as living sacrifices to God. Now, of course, the language here, you should be familiar, is drawn from the Old Testament cultic and sacrificial system. In particular, the imagery here is that of the burnt offering, which is offered to God totally. Right? Every part of the offering is burnt. Nothing is left. It is totally set apart, which is the meaning of holy, for God and God alone. They no longer belong to the giver, but now it belongs to God the recipient. However, in Romans 12, a Christian is not going to be an actual burnt or dead offering. There is no need for that because Jesus himself was the once and for all atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. His life, his death was sufficient to pay for God's righteous judgment on sinners. As such, Christians are to be living sacrifices instead, not dead. Now, Christians are firstly living sacrifices in the sense that they are to give themselves wholly to God as long as they live. Every part of their life and every second of their lives are set apart for God. But in the second sense, they are living because they have been brought back from death, from sin, to live in righteousness. So verse 1 goes on to tell us that being a living sacrifice is spiritual worship. Now the Greek word translated as spiritual is logikos, which literally means well and carefully thought through. So used here with the word worship, it may then mean a worship that is from the inner self or a worship that is rationally considered. Now that's possible, but we can also understand it as a reasonable worship. In other words, being a living sacrifice is a reasonable, logical, and fitting response to God's mercy. So in view of what God has done to save us through Christ, it is only right to live out a life wholly given to Him. You know, some of you may know that I genu genuinely like to play ball games. 
But ever since COVID-19, I went back to running because, you know, you cannot interact with people, right? And then I lost all my khakis. But with problems with my knee now, I now have to turn to swimming. But I've never really enjoyed swimming. I don't know why, but I, I, I genuinely like the fact that, you know, after an intense ball game or a run, I'm drenched with sweat from top to bottom. It feels like I've done it, right? Now, of course, after that, I would want to take a shower as soon as possible to get out of those wet and dirty, and dirty clothes. Now, I believe most of us would want to do that too after exercising. But how would you feel if you put on the same clothes you wore before the shower? After you shower, you put back those wet and dirty clothes again. See, nobody in their sound mind will do that, right? It is totally unreasonable and illogical to get yourself all dirty again after you are clean. It wouldn't make sense. So likewise, if Jesus has saved us from a life of sin and worldly passions, it is ridiculous, unreasonable, illogical to go back to that kind of life. Therefore, it is only reasonable and logical that we are to live a different life from the one we are saved from. In fact, that is what salvation and the gospel is. Jesus saved us from sin to a life of obedience. And here in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul calls this life of obedience a reasonable worship in response to God's mercies. As such, worship is not just the time we go for service or the time we sing during service. Worship is our whole life in the devoted service of God. It reinforces the idea that we are to be living sacrifices. We are to offer every part of our lives in worship to God. So what does it mean for us as Christians? That means that we cannot offer some parts of our lives to God while withholding some other parts. See, for some of us, it might be that, you know, we say, well, we will worship God. We will worship God by serving in this or, or that ministry. We, we, you know, I'll read my Bible every day and, and I'll pray every day. However, we will say to God, you know, you know that part of my life, I give it to you, God. But this part of my life, can you leave it alone, okay? It's mine. The part which we want to keep to ourselves can be our idolatry of work, our pride in grades, our addiction to games, our video watching, or relationship that we shouldn't continue. That, my friends, is not the living sacrifice and the reasonable worship God is demanding of us. It is not just the parts. It's not even the majority, but the whole of our lives that we should give to God in worship by the mercies of God. Similarly, we cannot live a double or even triple life. See, we can so easily live a different life at home compared to school, at work, or in NS. We can be like angels at home, but a terror in school and a rascal in national service. Or we can be an angel in church, 
but the devil at home. Similarly, we can also live different, differently when we are in the presence of people, when everybody is watching us. We will always say the right thing, do the right things. However, when we are alone in the night, especially when we are with our computers, we could be watching porn or cursing or swearing when playing games. But we shouldn't live such a life. In view of God's mercies towards us, it's only reasonable and fitting that we give every part and every second of our lives to Him as a living sacrifice and worship. And that is what we are saved to. So how then can Christians fulfill this exhortation to be living sacrifices? Well, Paul explains it in a negative way and then in a positive way. Well, negatively, Christians are not to conform to the world or literally not to conform to this age. For Christians no longer belong to this present age that is dominated by sin and rebellion against God. See, there are, we are, as Christians, we are not to be squeezed into the mold of this age. But positively, Christians are to be transformed, changed, it means we are to live a different life from how we lived before and how someone in this age would live. But how does Christians then resist conforming to this age but to be transformed? Well, the two verbs of conforming and transforming are in the present tense in Greek. We suggest that it is a continuous process. So in order for Christians to keep living as living sacrifices without conforming but being transformed, there must be a continuous renewing of our minds. Now, the mind here does not just mean knowledge or just rational. It, just, it refers to the whole inner being and connotes a person's reason and moral consciousness. See, in, in, our, in our sinful thinking, in our sinfulness, our, our thinking is futile and our minds are debased. We exchange the truth about God for a lie and to do what ought not to be done. That's what we learn from Romans 1. As sinners, that's how our thoughts and thinking are like. However, we also learn from Romans 8 that those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. So those who walk according to the Spirit can now set their minds on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the sinful flesh anymore. In other words, the renewing of the, our minds is fundamentally the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also know that the Holy Spirit works through God's inspired Word. He convicts us of the truth of God's Word through the reading preaching and the singing of His Word. So the more we listen to God's Word, the more renewing of our minds is done by the Spirit. And in that way, we will be able to discern and able to recognize the will of God instead of conforming to the world. We will understand, we will agree with God's good, acceptable and perfect will instead of agreeing with this fallen age. 
So how will God's mercy change our lives? Well, firstly, Christians are to present their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But secondly, Christians are to live with sober judgment in service of others. Now, that's actually part of what a living sacrifice and what it means to live a transformed life. As we said earlier, a transformed life requires constant renewing of our minds. So it's no wonder that there are four thinking words that appear here in verse 3. See, Christians are not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That's actually sober thinking. Now, this sober thinking is about the right thinking of ourselves, which will mean a right thinking of others. Now, it seems that uh, perhaps in the church there, there are people who think of themselves more highly than they ought. By doing that, they are thinking lowly of others. Now, who might these people be? It's not really clear. It's not stated in the letter. Could it be the Jews or the Gentiles? Jews who thought too highly of the heritage or Gentiles who thought too highly of their dominance. Well, it may be one or both groups because we know that in Romans, there's all this tension built up between the two groups. I think to a certain extent, the issue here could be the gifts that each person has. Either way, the problem is an overestimation to say, to say it very gently, but pride to say it bluntly. What does the world or this age tell us about our status and values? They tell us that our status and our value is determined by what we can do and what we cannot do, what we achieve, what we earn, what we possess, or even how we look. But according to this worldly thinking, the more abilities you have, the greater capacity for you to contribute means higher status and value. However, Christians are not to conform to this kind of thinking. This is the thinking of this age. Christians must have the right thinking about ourselves and our gifts instead. See, verse 3 tells us that this right thinking or sober judgment is according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this could mean to to think rightly according to the very quantity of faith that each person was given. Now, that is a very possible reading. But it is difficult to understand there how does it actually addresses the issue. I would suggest a better reading could be to think according to the standard of the faith that each person was given. The word measure is then understood as the rule or the standard. So faith is not the subjective amount of faith one receives, but the faith as in the gospel that we all received. If it's read this way, then Christians are to think, think rightly of themselves, think rightly of others, with the gospel as the yardstick and with the gospel as the standard. Now what does the gospel tell us about all human beings? But the gospel tells us that we are all sinners deserving of his wrath. No one 
is better than the other before God. Therefore, Christians, we are all saved by the mercy and the grace of God, not by our works, not by our skills, not by our gifts, not by anything else. If that is so, then no one can think highly of themselves or lowly of themselves or themselves or others. Right? Regardless of their gifts or anything else, we are all equal in the eyes of God. And furthermore, the right thinking according to the gospel will help Christians see themselves and their fellow Christians as members of that one body. Just like how every part of our body plays a different role, every member in the body of Christ performs a different function. Now, it does not matter what that function is. Every person saved by Christ is equally valuable and plays a role in the church. Even Paul sees his own apostleship as a gift, is grace from God. So whatever gift God, that God has given to every Christian, he or she is to use that gift to serve others. Now, without going into uh, each type of gifts listed in verse 6 to 8, the main point here is that Christians are to use their gifts fully, generously, and cheerfully. So we can turn to the people around us and say, I will serve you and thank you for serving me. Because that's what we are all called to do. You see, all of us have gifts. Yet, no one has all the gifts because each one has a function in the body of Christ. In other words, we are all interdependent. Our gifts are not meant to, be, to belong to ourselves alone. It is to be used for the service of others. Now, just like you wouldn't want a physical body that's all mouths and no eyes. Pretty hideous. Neither would you want any part of your body to stop doing its part. Because that means you have to go to the doctor. Yes, there are some roles in the church that requires a certain level of skills, such as musicians, you know, or if you are in a teaching role, they have a certain level of knowledge. However, gifts don't have to be big or glamorous. You know, we have people serving faithfully in the tech team. They are no experts, but they avail themselves to be trained. And they avail themselves to come. We have those serving at the bookends. Those who come every week to prepare children's church crafts for the week. And many, and many more who will just go and visit the sick and the needy. You know, we have a special needs guy in our, in our church, you will have noticed. And uh, yeah, last week he was just called to read the Bible at the Mandarin service. And he took it very seriously, I was told. that He was walking up and down, you know, repeating those verses that he's supposed to read and he and he really read it with gusto at the Mandarin service. And he has a voice as loud as Pastor Yak Chow. <laughs> well, that is his gift, right? Everyone can play a part. At the end of the day, it's all about willingness and commitment. Some of our younger ones struggle to serve because they are fearful. Fearful of missing out on things in life if they commit 
their time and their energy to serve others. Perhaps others among us may be a little bit just too jaded or, or perhaps too comfortable to serve. You know, ARPC at Tengah is scheduled to be completed in the second half of next year. We can indeed be thankful to God for all your generous giving so that we can build this church building without taking a loan or to run a fundraising golf event. But my friends, having a third place is essentially a 50% increase in the people needed to serve from our current two places. Now, see, this third place is not merely built to create more space for us, nearer to home perhaps for some of us, a closer car park, and a fancy building to boast about. It is to reach more people for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you going to do as part of the body of Christ here in ARPC? We will respond to God's mercy by dying to self in giving up time, energy, and pleasure to serve others. And even if you are, you're not intending to go to Tengah, that's fine. But you can take the place of those now serving in Adam and Bishan because they may be intending to go. You see, that is what it means. Or one of the ways to serve others as living sacrifices to God. So what will the mercies of God change our lives? How will it change? Firstly, Christians are to present their bodies as living sacrifices to God. Secondly, Christians are to live with sober judgment in service of others. And thirdly, Christians are to love others. This exhortation to love others is definitely not new to any Christian. We have heard it so many times. Right, but Paul spells out details here in this section. I won't go into all of it. But the phrase in verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Seems to be the main exhortation for this section. His emphasis is on the genuineness of the love that tells us that love is, is not meant to be superficial or not meant to be for show. He further qualifies his love as abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, contrary to what the world or how the world defines love, love does not condone evil. In fact, it hates evil exceedingly. That's what the word abhor means. True love holds on to what is good as defined by God, not by ourselves, not by the world for sure. See, love is not a blind emotion. Love is not, you know, it's only truly love if it's according to God. Otherwise, it leads people down the wrong way that will only store up wrath on the day of judgment. And this section, it tells us too that we are not to be lazy in our love for others. See, enabled by the Holy Spirit, we are to fervently serve the Lord by serving others. You see, it's easy for us to ask others, how can we help you? But when the time comes, we become too lazy to do that. Yet we have seen DGs among us, the disciple groups among us, rallying around all their sick and needy members, 
they genuinely contribute to their needs and provide their practical help sometimes to bring you know, the fellow DG members to and fro hospitals. See, love for others is every person's ministry. It's not just by the selected few. Now, this love for our fellow Christians can also be exhibited when we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, it's pretty encouraging to see our, some of our youths and our church members visiting and sometimes staying over with each other in our time of sorrows, in our time of disappointments. That's great. But sometimes to rejoice with those who rejoice is a real test of our genuine love. Because it's easy, easy to rejoice with people, you know, a bit far away from us. We rejoice, you know, with, with Joseph Schooling, we rejoice with Shanti Pereira, we rejoice with Loki you when they won. But however, can you rejoice? Rejoice with a fellow youth when he or she achieved or received something better than you. Can you rejoice with someone who got a Taylor Swift tickets and you didn't get one? Can you rejoice when your DG mate or, or your Christian colleague, when their families, when, when their work and their ministries are doing better than yours? See, enabled by the Spirit to think rightly, we can follow the example of Jesus in how He loved without compromising truth, caring for the poor and needy, sometimes to His exhaustion. And He wept with the family of Lazarus when he died. He joined in to rejoice in weddings and he prayed for his people. How will the mercies of God change our lives? Firstly, Christians are to present their bodies as living sacrifices to God. Secondly, Christians are to live with sober judgment in service of others. Thirdly, Christians are to love others. And lastly, Christians are to live peaceably with all, even to the extent of blessing our enemies. You know, four times in this section, Paul tells the Christians not to retaliate with evil, but to bless and seek the good of their enemies instead. Firstly, they are to bless, which means to ask God's favour upon them and not to curse. And then in verse 17, Christians are to repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. Again, you see the words, the connected words of thinking. Christians are to give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all. Now, of course, this is not to say we are to you know, try to please the world or, or to bend over to their standards. No. Because by doing that, that is to conform. More likely, what he's saying here is that it is to respond in a way that is meant to be a positive witness for Christ. And that will be connected to the third response. Christians are not to avenge themselves, but be good to their enemies. They are to feed them when they're hungry, give them a drink when they're thirsty. In that way, they heap burning coals on their heads. Now, that's a strange term. We don't really use that in our daily affairs, right? Now, what does that mean? Surely, it does not mean putting burning coals to make them suffer more 
or to store up more wrath because that goes against all the positive responses that's calling out for. So most likely, it is to make them be ashamed and perhaps repent from their evil. And in this way, Christians are lastly, in verse 21, not to overcome evil with evil, but in that way, overcome evil with good. Now, when we hear of all this, some of us here may be a bit uncomfortable with all these instructions from Paul. How can anyone deal with evil in this way? But let us remember that Paul did not write this in a vacuum, at a distance, sitting on a pedestal. He was one who endured all sorts of persecution, weeping, stoning, and imprisonment by this point. And he was surely following our Lord Jesus who went through even more than him. So Paul is talking about not taking personal vengeance and still do good to those who do evil. But he is not saying that Christians are to condone evil. See, if we can stop injustice and evil, we should. And perhaps, for some of us, we may have to run away from evil. But what we are told not to do is that we are not to return tit for tat. You backstab me, I backstab you. You gossip about me, I gossip about you. See, the assurance and the basis for our response is found in verse 19. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, God will not leave all this injustice or evil alone. He will deal with it and judge accordingly. Now, in a limited way, God can do that via earthly rulers and authorities. We see that in Romans chapter 13, verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. But even if the rulers and authorities fail to do that, we can know for sure that God will judge all on the last days. So in a nutshell, Christians are to live peaceably with others, friends or foes, as far as it depends on us. Of course, we know that not everyone, not everyone is keen to live peaceably with Christians. As the Roman Christians at the time will know, and Christians perhaps today still know, there will be some who are ever keen to persecute and to do evil against Christians. But by the mercies of God, we can resist Resist the ways and the values of this world to take personal revenge. See, by taking personal revenge, evil overcomes us by making us evil or making us use evil. You know, my son, Adro, uh, he plays for his school's table tennis team. Uh, last year, they played a team, they played a match in the national school games, and uh, after playing a game, they, they boarded a bus and uh, was heading back to school. When they were on the bus, they saw the team that they just played against. And that team suddenly gave them all the vulgar signs. How unsporting. And they were only set ones and twos. 
So how did Ajo's team members respond? Now, one of his team members, which is a Christian, his first response to those vulgar signs was to give them a hard sign. <laughs> and then prompted the rest of the team, right? Christian and non-Christians alike, they started to display all this, you know, whatever. <laughs> all the love they give to them, right? Now, I'm sure it left the other team embarrassed and not knowing what, how to respond. You see, my friends, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me conclude this sermon with, on Romans 12 with two R's for you. Firstly, is to always remember Jesus and the mercies of God. You know, in the same CNA article about disposable plastic bags, it is said that it may be a matter of time before people get used to this five cent thing, right? And it will become a new norm and will become part of their, you know, part of the cost of their shopping. Do we then increase the cost of the plastic bags? 20 cents, 50 cents, a dollar? There must be a deeper motivation than just punitive cost. Now, similarly, the benefits of accumulating steps on the step tracker by HPB, you know, it's been reduced, right? Those who want to know. You don't score points for 10,000 steps anymore. Right? You can score only 5,000 points. Uh, 5,000 steps. Points for 5,000 steps. That's why you don't see people shaking their hands anymore. 5,000 steps is quite easy. Huh? So how can those desired behavior be sustained? A deeper motivation is needed. See, the exhortation in Romans 12 and the chapters later, all those 14, 15, they are not meant to make us feel guilty. Because guilt can only bring us a distance. Guilt can only sustain us for a period of time. And it will slowly become works. Works in our attempt to make us right before God and look good before fellow Christians. And we know that this will fail. A young Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf visited an art museum in the 1700s. He saw this painting called Eki Homo by Domitia Fetti. Eki Homo is Latin for Behold the Man. Now these were the words Pilate used to present the battered Jesus to the crowds. Now after seeing this painting of the suffering Jesus, the young Zinzendorf committed himself to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. He is then known to have housed many persecuted Christians in his home and then he spearheaded the Moravian missions to the slaves and later to America. See, these Latin words can be now found below that painting. This have I suffered for you. Now what will you do for me? What motivated Zinzendorf was not guilt, but was what Jesus had done for him. Similarly, for C.T. Start, the founder of Heart of Africa Missions, which is now known as WEC International, he gave, us, he gave up his successful cricket career from a very well-to-do family as well, and then he first went to China with Hudson Taylor and then to Africa as well as India. See, what motivated him? 
One of his famous words will give us a hint. He said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. These are the words that capture what Romans 12 verse 1 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, not all of us will become like Zinzendorf or City Start. But the motivation, the basis for us to live as living sacrifices, not conforming to the world, but being transformed, is the same. The only way for us to live with sober judgment in service of others, to love others, and to live peace, peacefully or peaceably even with enemies is to remember, to remember what Jesus has done for us when we were still sinners, rebels, and enemies of His. And that brings us to the second R. We are to renew our minds continuously. And as the joke goes, right, the problem of a living sacrifice is that it always crawls away from the altar. The danger that Christians will face is the pressure to conform to the world. We are often bombarded with the world's values and its teachings. For example, the world tells us that we are defined by how well we do in school, what kind of jobs we hold, what kind of houses we live in, and what kind of holidays we take. And we must take the world for ourselves and all that. The world also hijacks you know, the true definition of, of, of love and, and define it according to its agenda. See, the pressure to conform to the world is great and real. So it's really hard to be a living sacrifice. Hence, we need help. You know, I told you earlier that I, I got this step tracker that has totally transformed my life, right? And one good thing about this tracker is, is that it will remind me to walk. You know, whenever I stay stationary for too long, you know, reading, 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 it will vibrate and then it will display the phrase, stand up and move. And it constantly sending reminders for me to, to, to stand up, to walk around, clock some more steps, you know. Likewise, we need reminders to help us be a living sacrifice, especially when we face the pressure of the world to conform. We need the constant input of God's word in us. You know, sometimes the older we are, or longer we are as Christians, we think we know it all. That is a lie. That is a temptation. The world is constantly giving us inputs of their values and their thinking, and we think we do not need regular and constant supply of God's word against it. No way. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stay in fellowship with godly believers, we need a discipline to read the Bible, and we need to sing hymns and spiritual songs that contain God's truth. And in fact, we are better at retaining the truths conveyed through songs. And all these ways, we allow our minds to be shaped by the gospel and be enabled by the Holy Spirit to live as living sacrifices. You know, the famous 
philosopher Descartes, he says, I think, therefore I exist. But perhaps for us, we could say, I think Jesus, therefore I am a living sacrifice. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies. Apart from your mercies, we will still be deep in our sins, storing up wrath on the day of judgment. By the saving word of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin, but now beloved children of yours. Help us, Father, to turn away, turn away from the ways of the world and live as living sacrifices for your glory. The ways of this age are strong and alluring. So enable us by your Holy Spirit to resist her ways and to be transformed instead by the renewing of our minds. May you be glorified as we serve, love and live peacefully for it is only by your mercies that we can be so. In the name of our risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.